Welcome to the CXR channel, our premier podcast for talent acquisition and talent management. Listen in as the CXR community discusses a wide range of topics focused on attracting, engaging, and retaining the best talent. We're glad you're here. So this is Jerry Crispin. I am uh, here with Megan Furlano, who's with Argo Group was with MMC just recently. Yeah. And uh, this is next up. And so, Megan, welcome. It's wonderful having you as part of uh, our community. We're, we're having more and more virtual meetings literally every week. I just got off of one, as a matter of fact, that had some case studies about what people are doing in the middle of the COVID-19 to either do surge hiring or furlough a lot of folks. So how has been your first, now you started when at Argo Group? Uh, in October. So thanks, Jerry. Thank you for the invitation to chat. And uh, yeah, I started the, actually the last business day in September, I think I started with Argo Group. So it's been seven months. Oh, you've had six months. So at least for a part of the time, you had a chance to meet people face to face. How wonderful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so how has it been? You what what um, what kind of possessed you to make the move from MMC to to Argo Group? What what kinds of things uh, attracted you there? Yeah, great question. So, um, it was a very tough decision to leave MMC because I absolutely loved the culture there and uh, loved the leadership team and especially the talent acquisition team. Probably some of the best TA professionals I've ever worked with, and uh, and the leaders uh, within the MMC organization not only uh, represented uh, good practice and everything they did, but they walked it, you know, like every, all of their behaviors and, and the way that they led the organization carried through to frontline. And uh, that was a great brand to recruit behind and, and really good talent acquisition professionals and going through like a lot of change with acquisition. So when I got the call from Argo, I really wasn't interested. Um, I met the head of HR there and, Felt like we really hit it off, so I was more intrigued. He came from Samsung, uh, and just his uh, his background being not from HR, he was a finance and technology professional before he joined us, was very intriguing to me. And Argo was going through a bit of a challenge in 2019, so I looked at it as an opportunity to rebuild and uh, and work for a company that had focused a lot on digital, which is very much an interest of mine since I had been at Ace and Chubb and going through that integration. Um, Argo had put a lot behind their digital capabilities. They're highly specialized. So I viewed it as, even though we were headed into a very challenging couple of quarters financially, um, and really the whole year of 2019 was challenging, I viewed it as an opportunity to rebuild. So um, that's what attracted me here. Sounds sounds very cool, and I, I love the I love the way you say 2019 was really challenging. And then of course you got to 2020, <laughs> and uh, depending upon when people uh, hear this uh, podcast, uh, obviously we are in the last week of April in 2020. So how um, how did uh, the last couple months uh, start to change things? Well, I would say 2020 also presented its own set of challenges, right? We uh, we welcomed a new CEO and new board members to the organization. Our CEO took over as interim CEO. He's been with Argo Group, Kevin Renberg, since 2013. 
Uh, he was tapped as, as really the successor to Mark Watson, and he has stepped up to the plate and really executed in the first part of this year. Uh, we're about to release our first quarter earnings. And while 2020 has been you know, a bit of a challenge in that we have to overcome what we've experienced through 2019, Kevin's one of the best leaders to do that, right? He really, again, like my experience with MMC, he leads by action and the experience that his team members had in the U S book of business in the years that he had been here, um, was very, very positive. And you can see that just in our glass door ratings, how much our employees really think of Kevin. He's very, very highly regarded, very humble leader. And, um, he has high expectations for delivery, but I think that is something that everybody's looking to. We want to work for a company that, uh, really has views themselves as the best of what they do in their organization and that there is, um, a strong purpose behind the things that we're engaging in. So it is a very, um, inclusive culture, um, forward thinking. And again, I think the investment in technology, over the course of time, the insurance companies tend to get a bad rap when it comes to technology, but I would stand our digital team up against any Silicon Valley team. They're really exceptional. And uh, everywhere we turn, we look for opportunities to rethink how are we working? Is this the smartest way to do it? We're always challenging ourselves. And again, that was something, a culture that I really loved about working at ACE and at Chubb. There was always that challenge of okay, we had a great quarter. What can we do next quarter to be even better? Uh, and Argo also has that same kind of, um, you know, grit to it and uh, a focus on always doing better and thinking about your customer, right? The customer journey. Um, that digital focus is all around what a customer experience is, whether that's your broker, partner, agency partner, or it's a vendor uh, or your own clients that you're insuring, um, the whole point of insurance is to give people a sense of assurance, whether you're a business owner, you're an individual, or you're a large corporation. And what we're going through with COVID-19 is a, is really, um, it's a harsh example, but again, like why you have insurance is to take care of whatever it is that you've invested in your business, you've invested all this money, you've poured your heart and soul into this business, and you want to make sure that you can keep that running and that when the time comes and you're ready to go full force again, and we all get the clearance to go back to whatever the new normal is going to look like, insurance really empowers companies and people to do that. And we really are very proud that we're able to do that for our customers. Cool. Have you, um, because the company has a, a strong technology component, um, is a lot of the workforce or has a lot of the workforce been doing a lot of virtual working? Uh, already? Yeah, so we were prepared, I would say. There are some pockets of the organization that already were very comfortable with remote teams and having people work in a virtual environment. We had really put in place uh, flexible workplace policies and um, really a number of things that were very employee friendly. And when the decision came, do we really need to be sending our employees into an office? Is that really the safe or wise thing to do? Um, it really happened over the course of less than 24 hours that our technology team could turn around and get us prepared for all working remotely. Um, it wasn't easy. And I would say, you know, the first week or two that we were all virtual, it was a challenge for everyone just to adjust to 
I've had employees working for me, let's say, that have never worked remote. So from a manager's perspective, maybe everybody has the equipment. Like we all can go in through Citrix and access even through a personal device, get in through a secure um, access point to get to all of our information and our clients' files and things like that. But it's all secure through our own um, firewalls, right? So that part was okay. But you have managers who are used to walking by and talking with their employees and hearing each other. And now you have to think about how do I engage those people virtually? And it ends up being through these video meetings, right? And making sure that everybody's present uh, and engaged on on a day-to-day basis and even an hour-to-hour basis and thinking about how we support again, our customers and our business partners and our trading partners as we're going through this virtual, now everything's happening virtually. I know. So, you know, normally the second question that I I typically ask in this is one that's relatively traditional. People talk about, I've been here six months and, you know, now I'm thinking about goals and here's some low hanging fruit and, you know, that kind of thing. And I get that. But, you know, the the conversation is just beginning to talk about post-COVID, right? And the level of uncertainty out there still is as broad and deep as the Grand Canyon. So it is hard to say what I need to accomplish in the next six months. But what, what what kinds of thinking or conversations are you having? Yeah, so it actually started before even COVID-19. We were looking at the way that we were screening candidates and trying to accelerate our talent selection process and get managers to be thinking more of like a team-based culture and the way that we interview candidates. So we were already in that process of interviewing as teams versus individuals and then going virtual, we were able to do that very quickly. And now we are we, we had initiated a... Um, an engagement with Greenhouse to leverage them as our applicant tracking system. We currently use Workday Recruiting. And we really wanted, again, like a more customer-centric um, experience for candidates that are looking to join Argo, build a talent network, and also enable our employees to have easier action when it comes to employee referrals. We have a very high rate of employee referrals. I'd say like in the last six months, probably 22% of our hires came from employee referrals. So it's a pretty high number. And uh, we want to continue to enable employees to see a a career path, whether it's nominating themselves, nominating a a fellow employee and having an internal route uh, of, you know, pathing your career through the organization or referring candidates to the organization because you're very proud to be an ARGA employee and you see the benefit of working there. So, Greenhouse really enables us to have a very positive experience. It also really instills accountability across the talent acquisition, the HR, and the hiring manager's responsibilities throughout the the hiring process. And even just thinking about pipelining your talent and looking at who do we need to keep in, in mind for succession planning, who are the people that we respect most in the industry or in certain functional areas, but we want to keep tabs on and keep in touch with. So we'll be launching that in really probably the end of June um, as we go through really kind of a a redo of our TA process. So having COVID-19 come in in the middle of that was probably a little bit of a speed bump, but I would say 
for the most part, our managers have had a seamless experience interviewing. And in the first quarter, we hired almost 150 people. So we didn't really lose pace at all, which was nice. Like business, we kept operating as if business was still going like normal, even though we all know it's not normal. I think that's fascinating to me. Um, and so you you would have been on pace for somewhere around four or five hundred uh, hires in the course of a year, I would assume. Yeah, probably about that. And, and we may still be, um, to your point about the complexity of COVID-19 being like traveling through the Grand Canyon. Uh, none of us know the, the financial impact um, and really like the ripple effect of COVID-19 on businesses, right? And how that will impact our own business and the way that we consider risk, the way that we price risk. Is that pricing of the risk affordable for customers, right? That's kind of like, I liken it to maybe like post 9-11 or even after the financial crisis, when you think about the complexities of not just that one event, but how that event impacted everything else, the way that we handle things personally and professionally, managing a business, you know, you, you name it, how you, how you commute changed completely after 9-11, right? How you traveled changed completely. Um, so the same thing is going to be true um, post COVID-19's initial impact. I think it will have a lasting impact on the way that we live our lives globally. Um, but it, yeah, and I think it also forces out companies to be thinking like global citizens. I think that you have to take the view that everything that you do as an organization has uh, visibility to all of our, you know, fellow people, right? So thinking about your customer brand, thinking about your your brand as a service provider to businesses and how they think about, you know, everything has to have transparency, like your, your social position, your environmental position, um, their governance and the way that you manage uh, your business. It completely does. Yeah. 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 Everything changes. Yeah. You, 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 um, you forced me to think the fact that the business itself changes. Obviously, for insurance, there's a whole different set of rules that have to be recalibrated, if you will. Correct. Against what are the probabilities of, so I can have a reasonable pricing uh, kind of thing. That so that impacts all insurance companies immediately from that point of view. And then the issue is the decision making process, both of an employer. So if there, if the rules change, do I need a different set of or mix of skills and competencies in terms of some of the different jobs and their capability of working as a team remotely versus when they were able to come in? Um, and the and the conversations that mostly people have been talking about more recently has been how the weighting of my decision as a candidate is shifting from perhaps higher risk to maybe balancing the risk with, you know, is this a, is this a company and a job that I might be able to weather the storm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, versus staying where I am and taking my chances. And then the waiting, we were talking um, among some of the folks doing early career hiring. Uh, we're seeing that the uh, stakeholders in the process go well beyond the, kid who's graduating and their parents are weighing in a little more heavily now like 
are you crazy? You're going to move to where, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, so true. And uh, as well as significant others. So, you know, the, 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 the issue about, do I move my family? If, if in fact you do have to physically move. So lots of interesting considerations are going on as we speak. And I don't think we're going to be out of that for at least a few months. Um, It'll continue to be kind of um, what I think you have to embrace in an agile environment. Um, and if you don't have an agile environment, you're in deep trouble. Completely. Like, I, I think it's interesting when you when you bring up the early career piece, because I think the opportunities are just as strong, right? Because now more than ever, that those students that have now graduated or soon to graduate have grown up as digital natives, and they already they work in an agile framework without even knowing that they do. Like they have learned conceptually in the way that they were educated. They all have had access to digital tools and systems. And they think uh, in a very spatial framework, the way that they operate socially, and I'm sure the way they're going to operate professionally. And they are ready to join an organization and eager to, you know, take what they've learned and apply it, right? So I think I think companies should continue to create those opportunities, right? Because they're coming at it, right? Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I've had, some, there's been some radical discussions among our members um, of late on these issues. And uh, one of the surprising ones, I think one of the heads of TA that, that hires four or 5,000 kids every year, is beginning to ask them where would you like where would you like to live because as a benefit we'll move you there because we expect that you're going to it is virtual everything's virtual you're you know you if you want to move back where your parents are we get that uh, we'll help you do that obviously you don't have the cost is low because these kids don't have all that much so at least at this point so it's kind of a fascinating set of possibilities that people have that can change the way we think about the conversations and questions uh, that encourage them to make a decision to come with us. If we have a more community environment in which belonging and safety is a little bit a part of it, um, should we be leading with that versus uh, how much money you can make, right? And how how fast you get developed or something to that effect. Not that they disappear, but the various weights that they put on it and the order of them uh, are something we're going to have to rethink, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think it doesn't take away from, you know, you look at whatever, you can go back research for how many, 20 plus years. Like one of the most important things for employees is always, you know, are they recognized and do they feel valued? I think those like core things are critical no matter what you do. And authenticity of leadership is so critical. Um, The transparency and communication are so critical and the organizations that are able to. You mentioned humble. And um, uh, one of the comments, one of the conversations I had recently has been over servant leadership, that there are a number of books out there, but, you know, a lot of financial firms particularly tended to reject them in favor of much more hard-assed, um, you know, this is the goal, let's meet it today kind of thing. But I'm, what I'm seeing is a need for, again, that, com- that, that conversation about who I am and valuing me for myself 
um, almost before we start talking about performance that, you know, what, what, in, what inspires me to perform even better than I am is, is that you care about me. And I, we had some conversations with uh, team leaders in um, Europe and they said they're having morning calls with their teams who are all over Europe. And, and for the first half hour, 45 minutes, they talk about no work at all other than how are you? How's your family? How are your kids? That kind of stuff, because people are kind of hungry for that because they're so isolated. Anyhow, interesting thought. Last, so last question, you know, other than work and, uh, you know, what, what uh, gives you satisfaction in terms of uh, family or other ways that you give back, et cetera? Yeah. So I, I would say like number one, obviously is my family. I married, I have two boys. Um, they're actually young men, 16 and 24. So I live vicariously through them to some extent. They're both athletes. One's a working adult now. So I'd love talking with him about his career experiences. Um, I'm an avid runner. I love to either ride my bike or run either one. Getting anything outside for me is, um, I mean, I know Peloton's like all the rage, but I'd much rather get on a bike and go see something or go out for a run and see something. Um, we have a dog, so playing with our dog and, uh, and anytime we can help out in our community, like we have a, we joke about the street that we live on and how magical it is where we are because everybody kind of looks out for each other. We have a couple of widows on our street that now are, you know, at a point where they can't do their own shopping and things like that. So we kind of all take part in helping another out, which is kind of cool. So, yeah. I love that. Actually, several people on our block have called and said, without saying it, they said, we know you're old. Can we help? And I go, thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, that's very nice that you reached out like that. I said, um, not yet. I said, I, I'm, I still know how to get gowned up and, and go in the middle of the rain at 7 a.m. in the morning when I know no one else is going to be in that grocery store. Uh, <laughs> and I can run through there in about uh, 20 minutes, uh, spend my money on what's left and, uh, and, and come out of there. So it's, it's pretty good. But it's also good knowing um, knowing that, that you run, for example. We've got a few runners among our members. Kristen Warrick. I don't know if you've met her. I don't think I've met her yet, no. She is, um, I think we have a, we might even have a video. I'll send you a link to hers. She now heads up a TA at United. She has her hands full right now, huh? <laughs> and and she, does, she does five miles every morning. Good for her. And um, she's in her 60s, and she's, she is, she's extraordinary. I think she's done marathons in the past as well. Um, but she's, she's a kick. So, yeah, there's, there, we've got a few. I'm not one. <laughs> that's okay. I've got an electric, I have an electric bike. Oh, that's cool. That is very cool. A couple of our neighbors have them. They're really neat. The advantage is I can travel out farther than I would if I didn't completely because I know that if I get tired uh, I've got a, a way to get back without uh without overdoing it yeah there's something to be said for that I have to say <laughs> I've had some of those overzealous bike rides and runs and I'm like man I wish I had someone to drive me home right now <laughs> I know well, that's great well listen thank you I really appreciate the time that you took uh we'll be sharing this obviously with our members as an opportunity to get to know just a, a new member. And I think that's kind of cool. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, Jerry, and stay well. 
All right. You got it. You take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good, Jerry. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the CXR channel. Please subscribe to CXR on your favorite podcast resource and leave us a review while you're at it. Learn more about CXR at our website, cxr.works, facebook.com and twitter.com slash career crossroads and on Instagram at career X roads. We'll catch you next time. Oh, 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 oh